Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand in a sacred place that has been designated as a place of proclamation of the Word of God. Over the years, the Harvest Pulpit has been a, a place of anointing. It's been a place of direction. It's been a place of inspiration and encouragement, instruction and righteousness. And we thank you for all those many, many times, God, that you've touched the Harvest Pulpit. And I ask you this morning, Lord, that there would be no exception, but that your grace and your anointing and your enablement would come alongside this unworthy vessel and use these lips of clay and use this mind to recover and to remember the things that have been studied and revealed in prayer. Help us, O oh Lord, today through the Word of God to walk out these doors changed and encouraged and instructed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. For those of you that are not really that skilled at navigating, it's over toward the front. Uh, second book. First book's Genesis. Next book is Exodus. One is beginning. Next one's the end. Exodus. The children of Israel are a picture of the church today. They were God's people in the very ancient of times. God made a, a covenant with a man named Abraham. And when God met Abraham, God met Abraham who was an idle, toting heathen. He was on the backside of Ur of the Chaldees, uh, which is modern-day Babylon. He was a man that had no experience, no knowledge, but God met with him and he said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you. Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. I will make your seed as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the heaven." You'll be the father of all the faithful. You'll be the father of many nations. And in you shall all of the nations of the world be blessed. Wow, what a covenant that was. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. Well, it was the Abram covenant in the very beginning. God changed his name to Abraham. And I'd like to tell you that from that day on, Abraham did everything right. But he didn't. There was a time when Abraham lied and there was a time when he lost his testimony. There was a time when he lost his witness. There was a time that he spent down in a place called Egypt that was very displeasing to God, and he did some very terrible things. I don't know how long he stayed down there, but thanks be to God, God got him out of there. God got him out of there. Has God ever got you out of there? Has God ever forced the issue and you had to get out of there? God forced the issue down in Egypt. In fact, because of Abraham's lie that he told that Sarah was his sister and that the Pharaoh took her to be one of his wives. And while he was asleep, the Pharaoh wasn't not. He dreamed a dream and he saw in his dream the Lord. And God spoke to him and gave him a very terrible message. Here's what God said. I'm going to kill you. Boy, that's a tough message. God says to this king of Egypt, I'm going to kill you. Oh, what for? What have I done? He said, you're messing with my covenant. And you're messing with my promise. 
and said, you've believed an untruth and you're about to mess up my purpose and my plan. And he said, I'll kill you for that. Wow. And he said, oh God, have mercy. I didn't know. I had no idea she was who she is. I had no idea that you had plans for her future. I had no plans, God, that you had a purpose and a plan that she was going to give birth to children out of her loins. There would come a Savior in the world. I had no idea that's what was going on. Please, please forgive me. And God said, because of the integrity of your heart, I'm not going to kill you. But you get rid of them, you send them on their way. You know, sometimes God uses force when we won't do it any other way. Sometimes God kicks things out of our life that we shouldn't have had there in the very beginning. Sometimes God forcibly removes things in our lives because they never should have been there in the first place. Somebody say, man, that's good preaching. Sometimes God has to force the issue. And we're going to see today how God forced the issue to get his people out of Egypt again. And here we, here we have this story. Abraham, the Bible said, came up out of Egypt. He went down into Egypt because he was hungry. He went down into Egypt because he was searching for food. He was looking for a place to get fed. And for a process of time... He got fed in Egypt, but God then said, it's time for you to keep the promise alive, to keep the plan in operation, to keep the program going and the purpose going, then I've got to get you out of Egypt. Now, it's one thing to get you out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of you. And sometimes God has to change your surroundings so he can change you on the inside He's got to forcibly do some things on the outside. And could it be that this whole pandemic situation is God forcing the issue on some things we would not otherwise have listened to or heard or understood or accepted? Could it be that we've not appreciated His blessings enough and God had to force the issue to make us cherish time spent in his house could it be that God has had to force the issue and separate us six feet from one another to make us know how valuable and how cherished it is that we can be close to one another and hug and feel one another's presence could it be that God has had to force us to wear a mask so that we could understand what isolation is about and could appreciate our freedom and God, maybe we had so many freedoms that we didn't really appreciate what God had done for us and what God has in plan and in store for us. And God had to force the issue. Could this whole pandemic, I want you to, it never slipped up on God. No, it didn't take God by surprise. And somebody said, why do you think God sent all this upon us? Well, I'm not sure he did. But I'm sure of one thing that God's going to use it because what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to turn and use it for good. That what the enemy intended to destroy and hurt 
and afflict and oppressed, God is going to use it to turn it around and let it mean something else. And we won't know about it fully until we get through it. Because usually while we're in something, we don't understand. Usually we understand after we've gone through it. Does that make any sense? Most of the time, our cognitive skills aren't very good while we're in the midst of our dilemma. Most of the time, we don't really have a lot of wisdom when we're going through something. In fact, we often say what I preached about Wednesday night in the lesson about they were at their wits end. Have you ever been at your wits end? That means I don't know what to do. It means I don't know what's going on. It means I don't understand this. It means I'm out of control. I've lost control. I'm at my wit's end. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm baked. That's what it means to be at your wit's end. Could I tell you there are a lot of people right now that are scared to death? There are people right now that are huddled up somewhere thinking they're going to come to a terrible end. There are people that are imagining the worst. There are people that are assuming things that are really not true. And many are being intimidated by fear and anxiety about something they don't understand. And the reason is, it's never been this way before. I'm so very unaccustomed to the way it is now. I, I don't have any reference point to, to reference what's going on right now. And I don't understand, and I don't know what, I'm, I'm unsure. Uh, my, my faith is being put to the test, and my hope inside me, hoping that someday it's going to get better, and hoping that someday we're going to get back to normal, whatever that is. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. You see, when you don't understand, and when you're at your wit's end, the only thing you can do is put one foot in front of the other foot and walk by faith and not by sight. You don't walk in the energy of something you understand. When you don't understand, and when you don't know what to do, believe. Believe. Take a hold of your faith and get a good grip on your faith. And hold on to your faith because we walk by faith. If you lose your faith, then you lose your way. If you lose your hope, then you lose your energy. If you lose your joy, then you lose your strength. If you lose your presence, then you lose your patience. You've got to have those things in your life to keep going. To keep going. And what a wonderful blessing it is for us to sit here today and worship God and hear a message, sing spiritual songs, there are places where you can't do this. My brothers and sisters in Huntsville, Alabama, can't have church. It's not allowed. You get fined and threatened with a year in jail if you go to church in Huntsville. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this, this pandemic is bringing us to a never-before-experienced situation. Let's read about some ancient people who were in oppression 400 years. Now they went down into Egypt to find food. And thank God, God had a Savior whose name was Joseph, who was on the throne, who had favor, 
and God's people were spared and blessed because God had a Savior. You'll never go to a place where God doesn't have a Savior. You'll never go through a difficulty what, what God has appointed a deliverer. You'll never encounter a test or a dilemma or a hardship or a difficulty but what God has got a Savior and a deliverer there. And I found out something over the years. The God who delivers is also the God who provides. He not only will get you out, when he gets you out, he'll supply your need. Whew. He won't leave you stranded there, bewildered, and not knowing which way to turn. He's always there. Now listen at this great passage of Scripture. It's in Exodus chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. You know how Moses got to be there, don't you? He's one of the people that God appointed and anointed gave a message and said, go and take the message. And God equipped him with the power of his miraculous spirit insomuch that God used the implements of Moses' profession. What was he, pastor? A shepherd wandering on the backside of Midian, tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro, and he walked by a bush and it was on fire. Now, I, I must tell you honestly, it was not uncommon to find bushes burning in the desert. Sometimes they'd get struck by lightning. There's all kind of things that would cause. But the thing about this bush is it didn't burn up. It just kept burning. God's power, God's presence is something that never wears out. It doesn't ever get extinguished. It keeps on burning. When Moses turned aside to see this sight that was so strange to him, a fire that doesn't burn out, uh, glory to God, a bush that keeps on burning. And when he went over to examine, the Bible said, and God spoke to him out of the bush and said, Moses, take your shoes off your own holy ground. And God delivered to him the whole order of what he had planned for his life. I want you to go down to Egypt. Lord, you, you don't know my past. Uh, Egypt wasn't a, a very good place when I left. In fact, I had a murder charge on me when I left over there. In fact, I was on wanted posters all over town when I ran from there. And I ran over here to, 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 to Midian in a wilderness back here on the backside so nobody could find me. And I've, I've got a troubled past, and I'm not really one that you want. You don't really need me. You need to go look for somebody else. If you want somebody to preach freedom and deliverance, I'm not your man. Aren't you glad that God looks past our past? That God uses people who have a sordid past? That God uses people who have things that were shameful and things that they're embarrassed for you to know about. But yet God said to him, I want you to go and deliver the message to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. So when he finally decided that with Aaron's help, he would go down to Egypt and he would inform Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. And Pharaoh answered like this, 
Who am I that I should obey your God? Who am I should I, I should be threatened by your God? He said, by the way, who is the name of this God you say? He said, all he said to me was, I am. I am. I am what? I am that I am. I am whatever you need me to be. If you need a Savior, I'm a, I'm a Savior. If you need a deliverer, I'm a deliverer. If you need a healer, I'm a healer. If you need a need supplier, I'm a need supplier. I am what I am. I, I will do for you what no other power can do. I am power. I am peace. I am presence. I am protection. I am provision. I am. Hallelujah. And Pharaoh said, what, what, what does that mean that I should take orders from him? He's telling me, let my people go. Moses came back and he said, God, I went and told Moses what you said, told Pharaoh what you said. Well, what did he say when you told him, let my people go? He said, I'm not going to do that. He said, I don't know that God. I've never had any relationship with that God. I've never been in any way associated with that God you're talking about. And God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, glory to God, God said, you go tell him that he may know who I am. Oh, this world needs to know who God is, don't you? This world, your next door neighbor needs to know who God is. Your paper boy needs to know who God is. The man who mows your lawn needs to know who God is. The boy who carries your groceries out needs to know who God is. Hallelujah. That person behind the screen at 7-Eleven needs to know who God is. God said that they may know, that Pharaoh may know who I am. He said, let's let some plagues come. Ten of them. Ten plagues. Can you name one? Frogs. Yeah, that's good. Darkness, yeah. Flies. Water turned to blood, yeah. Boy, there's ten of them. You know why there's ten of them? Because there's ten commandments. Ten plagues. Transgression for everyone. The last one was that the eldest son in every family would die. The eldest, the firstborn, he said. And throughout all of... The Egyptian empire, there was heard weeping and wailing because it was a terrible night that the death angel passed through Egypt and every firstborn died. But the Bible said for God's people to take a lamb, take a lamb and shed its blood, glory to God, and prepare it and take the blood and go to the doorpost of your house and smear the blood of that sacrificial lamb on the doorpost of your house. And God said, when the angel comes through and the angel sees the blood, the angel will pass over you. Praise God. Every time God sends judgment, he always sends grace. Every time God sends wrath, he always makes a provision for his people. It's always about a sacrifice. It's always about blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb by whose blood God causes to pass over wrath and judgment and gives us peace and deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of his cross. Could you give him an appreciation clap for that?
God told Moses. Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pahiroth between Migdal and the sea. Opposite Baal Zephon, ye shall camp before it by the sea. Wow. Well, we've got them out of Egypt. And brother, they looted the place. Man, they got gold, they got silver. They took, the Bible said, all the treasures of Egypt. Brother, before they left, they loaded up. And now here they are out in the wilderness and wondering which way we're going to go. Instead of going in the direction they thought they were going, God led them exactly the other direction. Most of the time that's the way it is because man's ways are not God's ways. It's because man's means is not God's means. The quickest way is not always the way God takes. The, the, the way that makes more sense is not always the one God travels. Come on, somebody. Sometimes he leads me through different places than I had estimated and evaluated. Sometimes he leads me through paths where I've never been before. Sometimes he leads me through instances and events that I, had, I was not prepared for. He turns them and heads them toward eastern Egypt. And as they, they travel, God said to him, go to a place, and it's a strange name. I've got it in my notes. Number one, it says Migdal. It is an Egyptian station. It's a lookout. It's a high mountain. Why in the world would God send the people of Israel right straight into a place where there is all kinds of military and there are observation points so people can watch every move they make well as they watched they the bible said they sent word back to the pharaoh they said boy the children of israel have made a terrible mistake now they've they've they've, they've made a great error they didn't go the way they were supposed to go they're lost they don't know where they're going i've had folks say that about us Why did God put them over there between a place called Migdal and a place called Pahiroth? Pahiroth, listen to that word, in Jewish understanding. It's so like our father that he would position his, his people in a valley between two high rocks and one of them called Pahiroth, which means the Mount of Freedom or the mouth of the Valley of Death or Valley of the Gorges. The location was a valley of gorges with a dead end. You mean God was leading them to a dead end? It looked like it. Sometimes it looks like you're being painted into a corner. You ever been there? Sometimes it looks like that you're on a dead end street and there's no way out. Sometimes it looks like there's no way. Why did God lead them out of Egypt and position them in a dead-end place, mountain on the right, mountain on the left, and an information tower up there sending back to Pharaoh about all the mistakes you've made? You went the wrong way. They're bound to be lost. You know, the devil loves to publish things about God's people and say, we got them now. They're in a dead-end place now. They're falling right into our hands. They're so stupid they don't even know where they're going. 
They're following this God around that tells them he's got a pillar of fire, got a cloud of smoke, and he's leading them around. They're looking for clouds, and that cloud has led them right into our hands. They are boxed up in a dead-end canyon. It's called the Valley of Death. We've got them. So many times the enemy rejoices prematurely. So many times the devil and hell has a, a party thinking that they've got the righteous surrounded. They've got them hemmed up and there's no way they can get out. There can no, no way they can be delivered. But I want to tell you, you read your word of God and you'll find out when things look the bleakest is when God does his best work. When things look like there is no way, he makes a way. When it looks like that there's no, no way to turn, he'll make a, make a turn. When it looks like you're back against the wall and there's no way to get out, God will give you some instructions on how to find a way when there is no way. Was it Ezekiel, Brother Ford, that found himself backed into a corner and his back was to the, to the wall? And the Bible said to him, the enemy was approaching. They were coming to kill him. And God said, turn around and look at the wall. And he turned and looked at the wall, and he said he saw a crack, a crack in the wall. And God said, dig in it. Start digging in it. Hey, God just told me to tell you, sometimes you need to quit looking at it and walk in it. Sometimes you just need to take a step of faith and walk in the direction God's leading. Well, when he began to dig in that crack, what happened, Brother Don? He found a door. Are you kidding me that nobody else knew that door was there? Nobody else knew where to dig. Nobody else had an answer. Nobody else had a map. Nobody else had, had a suggestion. But God knew that door was there. He said, dig in that crack. And when he digged it, it, behold, there was a door. And God said, go in. Go in. Oh, I believe God's saying to somebody today, go in. Go in. Stop looking. Stop evaluating. Stop trying to understand it. Walk in it. Go over. That threshold is there. Get over that threshold. Roger, I was putting a threshold down this week. From going from one room to another. A threshold is a place of transition. You're going from one place to another place. Sometimes you're leaving one surface, going to another surface. It's called a transition, a, a threshold. You know what? Thresholds weren't made to be walked on. Thresholds were made to step over. Woo, glory to God. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I hear God saying to somebody today, I'm saying to people, step over. Just step over the threshold and walk into a new day. Walk into a new season. Walk into a new time in your life. Walk into a new experience. Walk into a new relationship with God. Walk into a new, new trust, a new faith, a new hope, a new zeal for God. Step over that threshold. Don't stand there on that threshold. found out something else about thresholds. If you step on them enough, you'll get them loose. You'll get them loose. And when they get loose, you'll trip over them. I said, when they get loose, you'll trip over them. Some of you have walked on the threshold so much 
that you've got it loose. And now you've started tripping over the thing God put there to tell you, step over that. Step over that. He didn't mean stand on it. He means get over it. Get over it. Get over that threshold. Get past that, that time. Some of you this morning need to hear God say, you need to get past that. You need to get past that. You need to step over that. You need to go on. That's, that's held your attention too long. You're too focused on that one thing. You need to get on with it. You need to step over that threshold and go on into the next transition. Thank you, God. That's what people need to do. Wow. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Look at that fourth verse. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. You know why God is doing it? Because he's forcing the issue. Because otherwise, Pharaoh will not let them go. Unless God forces the issue. And the Bible said God hardened. What does that mean, Pastor? That means the goodness of God and the favor of God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That God was true to his promise. That God was a covenant-keeping God. That God would do what he said he would do. That hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Did you know the Bible tells us that goodness hardens hearts of wicked and evil people? Did you know that? Did you know that in the last days, the Bible said one of the indications that you're living in the last days is that people will be despisers of those that are good? Did you know that there are times when the goodness of God hardens the heart? It wasn't the fact that God initially did the hardening. It was the fact that there is a God. The fact that God was, that God was... Uh, in, in, in the people of Israel that hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Listen to what Pharaoh did. When his heart was hardened, that fourth verse, then I, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh, and he will pursue after them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh. I will gain honor over all of his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. So this... 14th chapter is not about Israel. And it's really not about Pharaoh. What is it about? It's about God. It's about God. It's about God's grace and God's delivering power. It's about God getting glory and honor. It's about God showing that He is the greatest power and He is the creator. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. God is saying that I may get honor in this ordeal with Pharaoh and his army. That I, when I conquer them, when I deliver my people, then they will give me glory and they will give me honor. Boy, is that good or is that good? Fifth verse. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people and they said, why have we done this? That we have not, we've now let Israel go from serving us. What are you saying, pastor? They changed their mind. Don't you love it when they change their mind? When they were agreeable, but now they're not agreeable. Where you used to be in good favor, but they, now they hate you. Where you used to have a position with them, but now then they've changed their mind about that. 
that oppressed you for 400 years, but now they're going to let you go, but now they've changed their mind. Why in the world? What in the world were we thinking? We had folks working for us for nothing. We built all these pyramids, and we've done all of this stuff, and, and now here we have done the stupidest thing in the world. We caved in to a God we can't see. We caved in and let them go, hey, I tell you what, let's correct our blunder. Look at verse 6. So he made ready his chariot and took his people. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Now you got to know this is the greatest empire on earth at this time. This is the richest empire ever to rule the world. This is a long line of Ptolemies and Pharaohs and a civilization that still to this day, uh, archaeologists are studying and physicists are studying to this day the civilization that was Egypt. And here we have the Pharaoh, the one who considered himself the most powerful man on the earth. The man that ruled the Egyptian empire that ruled the world. And now he has got his chariot. Now that would be something for you to see. That would be another message for another time. He took his chariot, and he also took 600 more. Now, we're talking about a day when they fought with swords and spears and arrows, and they, they fought close hand with sword, and here comes a tank, a chariot. It would be the equivalent of a, a tank. An infantryman against a tank doesn't last long. Brother, talking about fear, when they looked at the greatest war machine on the earth, the greatest army, the most skilled warriors, the greatest, most equipped army, the most trained, the most efficient people in the world at fighting are now on your trail. A pandemic had broke out. And the army of Egypt was chasing the people of God into their dead-end street. Look at this now. Also, he took 600 choice chariots chariots of Egypt. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. What? And the children of Israel went out with boldness, so the Egyptians pursued them. And the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pahiroth, before Baal Zephon. What are you saying? They're where God told them to go. They're doing what God told them to do. And the Bible said they were bold about it. Bold about it. Boy, up until this time, it's looking great. Looking great. Looking great. Why is that, Pastor? Because they're trusting God at this point. They got that pillar of fire still there, that cloud still there. But then God moved the pillar of fire and moved the cloud. And he put the cloud behind them. And here comes all of Pharaoh's army. God is now positioned to get glory and honor out of this whole ordeal. For when Moses went to God about the situation, Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched over them, or after them. So then they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, cried out, cried out. Cried out where we heard that before. I think I've just done a whole 
five messages about cry out. You remember what cry out is? It's when you reach out to God and you ask for God's help. It's when you've gone as far as you can go. It's when you're on a dead-end street. It's when you have no other recourse. It's when you don't know any more answers. It's when you don't have any more options. And you're sitting there at a dead-end street, and you cry out. You say, oh, God, help me. And they cried out, the children of Israel. The Bible said, and they cried out unto God. They were afraid. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves, now then they've lost that boldness they had done. And now then they've lost that great great expectation. Then they said to Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better. Somebody say better. It would have been better. Let's change that E and put an I. It would have been bitter. It would have been better, they said, for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in this wilderness. Boy, talking about some choices. Isn't it something that when we're faced and intimidated, we make rash statements? And usually leadership gets it. Moses, why did you talk us into this? Moses, why did you tell us God would provide? Moses, why did you cause us to trust God and his promises? Moses, why did you tell us that God would lead us to a promised land only to get us out here in this dead-end canyon with no way out, the Red Sea on the other side, a wall on one side, a wall on the other side, and pursuing Egyptians coming into the valley? God, why in the world did we believe Moses? He told us things would be better he told us it would be, be wonderful if we could trust God. And here we are, out here, vulnerable, and we're about to be wiped out. Does that describe anybody today? Maybe you're watching today and that describes you. I'm in a dead-end situation. I don't know what I'm going to do. The plant called and said, my job is not there anymore. Eventually, this substance I've got is going to wear out. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got bills that are overdue. Bill collectors are calling. I'm fenced in on every side. I don't know what to do. Does that describe you? Well, I'm going to tell you what you do. Just a minute. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. If God could say anything to us today, Pastor Mark, he would say to every one of us, don't be afraid. While people are shaking and trembling and delivering all kinds of doomsday information, God is saying in the face of every bit of that, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear will paralyze you. Did you hear me? Anxiety and frustration will paralyze you. It will get you to a place you won't do anything. It will cause you to wallow in self-pity. It will cause you to feel so sorry for yourself. 
but you won't have any initiative to rise up and fight against what's come against you. God says to Moses, I love this, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you. The battle belongs to the Lord. This day he will accomplish for you. Today he will defeat the Egyptians whom you see today and you will see them no more. Still just preaching at this point. No action yet. Still just preaching. Just preaching. What you do is you walk in all the light you know to walk in for as long as you can walk in that life. Take no thought for tomorrow, for sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. It is all, it's all you need to do is make it past the day. There's enough grace on that step for today. There's enough grace on that step for tomorrow. There's enough grace on that step after tomorrow. There's enough grace on that step. When I get there, it will be sufficient for me. So I'm not going to worry about three days or two days or one day. I'm going to worry about this day. And I'm going to stand in all the faith I know to stand in. And I'm going to walk in all the faith I know to walk in. And I'm going to, with every ounce that is in me, trust God and proclaim His Word and believe His Word. And I'm going to be an overcomer. I don't know how. I don't understand how it's going to work. I'm just telling you, He never He's never lost a battle. He will accomplish for me today what I need him to do for me. Praise God. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord lets me live tomorrow. I'll get up saying, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. If I make it till Tuesday, I'll get up saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will be glad in it. Hey, every day, just walk with God. Just this day. Just grace for this day. Hallelujah. The Egyptians whom you fear, you will see them no more. Verse 14. Will you read it with me, verse 14? The Lord will fight for you. What? The Lord, Susan, will fight for you. Natalie, the Lord will fight for you. Kim, the Lord will fight for you. Mm. Roger Borders, the Lord will fight for you. Jay Garner, the Lord will fight for you. Randy. The Lord will fight for you. Whew. 
Glenda, the Lord will fight for you. Randall, I was in a situation this last week where some crazy guys got to fighting. Yeah, I go around fighters. I go around dope heads. Yeah, a guy asked me this week, he said, you know, I met uh, Chris Hodges. I said, well, you probably didn't meet Chris Hodges. He said, yeah, I met Chris Hodges. I said, where was it? He said, I was in downtown Birmingham. He said, me and my buddies was smoking dope and acting like a bunch of fools. And said, he walked up right in the middle of us and said, hey, guys, how y'all doing today? You kidding me? Pastor of a mega church. Preaches to 40,000 on Sunday. Walking streets telling dope heads and fighters and stealers and liars and cheaters. Hey guys, how are you doing today? I was with one. <laughs> and there's all kind of mess going on. And what we standing there pretty close. I told Don about it for church. But I happen to be standing beside a guy that is a third-degree black belt. So, you know, it's hard to get upset and worried when you're standing beside a third-degree black belt. Now, those hooligans that were tearing shirts off and all that kind of crazy. My guy I was standing by, he never broke sweat, never do a thing. Never did a thing. I, I said, how in the world did you just stand there cool and collect with all that mess going on? He said, last time three jumped on me, they took three to the hospital, and I wasn't one of them. I said, well, I, I feel pretty good standing around close to you then. You know what? I have somebody with me who shares my every load. I feel his presence near me every day. Though others would be lonely when all their friends are gone, I have somebody with me all the way. And that somebody has said, you don't have to fight. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine, and I'll do my own fighting. God is saying to you today, relax. Don't be afraid. Stand still. The one who stands beside you has said, I've never lost a battle. The one that stands by you says, I will fight for you. Now, I got a lot of friends, but I hadn't got many that would fight for me. They send me birthday cards, but I don't know if they'd fight for me. They shake my hand and tell me they love me, but I don't know if they'd fight for me. But I have somebody. His name is the, the Lord Jesus. And he has said, 
I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you anywhere all the way through boxed-in canyons. I'll be there with you to fight. When you're on the stormy sea, I'll be there with you to fight. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're up against, I'll fight for you. I'll fight for you. I don't have time to finish this. Let me paraphrase. So God said, Moses said, you go over there, stretch out your hand over that box-stand place that you're in. That sea that they call a Red Sea. Said, go over there, stretch your hand out, take that rod, stretch it out. And the Bible said, he said, take the ark and said, go marching down into that water with the priest. Do all of those things that you do when you really need God to do something for you. And the Bible said when he stretched out his hand, those waters parted. And Stephen, the Bible said they piled up on one another and built a wall Higher than that ceiling there is 42 feet. Trust me, I've been up there. 42 feet. Can you imagine a wall higher than that of water? And you look on the other side, and another wall of water is stretching up as far as you can see. And you're down here in the middle, and you're walking through that corridor, at any minute, if that wall was to collapse, you're dead. But God said, lead the people across. And the Bible said He began leading the children of Israel across the Red Sea. And the Bible said, so the children of Israel crossed on dry ground. One of those midnight hours when I was rest, restless and not sleeping, I saw on the Science Channel, they said it's not the Red Sea, it's a Reed Sea. You people have mis, misread it. And said it actually, at times when the tide was just right, said it gets very shallow in some places. Did you see that too? Well, what was you doing up at the midnight hour? Couldn't sleep. <laughs> And he said, so the children of Israel, it just happened to be the right time and the right tide, and they crossed in about ankle-deep water and walked across it. I laid there for a few minutes and thought about that. And I finally threw the cover back, and I got out in the floor so I could shout a little bit. I said, you know, actually, that's a greater miracle than you're trying to prove wrong. Because the Bible said that the waters came down and drowned all of Pharaoh's army. Killed off, covered up their chariots. Destroyed that whole effort to wipe God's people out. Great, Lord, God just drowned every one of them in six inches of water. 
ankle-deep water. Brother, when you drown 600 chariots worth in six inches of water, that's a pretty big miracle, don't you think? But I don't believe it was six inches. I don't believe it was five inches. I don't believe it was a foot. I don't even believe it was damp. If the Bible said they crossed on dry ground, I believe you could have kicked up dust out there in the middle of the Red Sea because the Bible said it was dry. Glory to God. And as soon as God's people crossed over and got on the other side, what was freedom for them was death for the enemies. You missed a good place to shout. You see what God intends for freedom for you. Some people drown in what other people walk through. Some people perish in what God uses to deliver some people. Brother, as long as Peter was walking on that water and was looking at Jesus, he could do miraculous things. He could do something nobody else except Jesus did. No matter what you believe about Barry Bride, he didn't walk on water. But when the Bible said he turned around and looked at the means by which he was walking, he saw the wind and he saw the waves, he began to sink. And then there was something he did that gets God's attention every time. He cried out. I said he cried out. And when he cried out, Jesus reached down and lifted him up. How many times has God done that for you? You see, in closing, it might be that through all of this pandemic and all of this economic depression and stuff we're going through right now, it could be that God is trying to get us to unlearn some ways of the world so that we will be free to learn more about Him. You see, the things that you grip and hold on to with such tenacity, you see, God can't give you something as long as your fist is balled up. If you want God to give you something, do something for you, you need to relax. You need to relax. Most of you know that I, I golf. I have to confess I do. Debbie calls it cow pasture poo. <clears throat> I golf. Learned a long time ago, the tighter I hold on to that thing, the harder it is to be successful at the game. They tell us, you got to relax. You can't, as long as you got tension, as long as you got stress, and you're gripping so tight and you're squeezing that thing to death, you'll never swing it fluidly. You got to relax and grip it lightly. But the more light that you get it, the easier it swings. Maybe God is saying, you're just not holding things right. You're holding things with too tense. Too, tension, too much tension in your grip. You're holding on for dear life. And God is saying maybe it's the way you're holding on to things. Maybe if you would loosen your grip on those things.
Maybe God is helping us to unlearn some things. Unlearn some things. Now, the opposite is true, too. Don is plagued with the opposite of that grip thing, aren't you, Don? Sometimes, Don, when he swings, he lets that shaft fall down because he's gripping it so light and hits a horrible shot to the right that goes to the woods and the weeds because he's gripping too light. And oh, I, I love to hear him fuss about it. Ah! Drop that club down in my finger, between my finger and my thumb. I told him last week, I said, well, why do you keep doing it then? If you know that that's what you're doing, why do you keep on doing it? He said, I can't help it. It's just the way I swing it. Maybe God is saying to you, if you'll hold it differently, hold on to things differently, don't grip them so tight. God can put some other things in there. Stand with me. I want to pray a prayer with all these folks that are here, but I also want to pray a prayer for you. Because some of you during this message have gotten the theme of this message. And that is you can get past your past. You can get past your past. I want to say it again. You can get past your past. No matter what is in your past, you can get past that. Today is an opportunity for you and all of these people that are here in this wonderful church to loosen your grip on things you thought you just couldn't do without. To open up and cease to squeeze and hold on to things that never should have been in your life to begin with. Maybe God's wanting you to unlearn some things through this whole ordeal. Maybe you've misunderstood the whole thing. Maybe today, if you'll pray this prayer with me, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now just as I am. I have no mask to wear with you because you know who I am. I have no games to play because you know who I am. You know where I've been. You know my name. You know my heart. You know my history. All of my times are in your hands. And Lord, you know the desire that is in my heart. I want to walk over that threshold that Pastor preached about this morning. I want to be the person you want me to be. I want to get to the place in God. I want to grow to that place you want me to be, God. I want to mature and I want to develop to the place that you can use me in the way you intended for my life. I want to accomplish your purpose and your plan in my life. I want to release things that had no business being in my life. I want to turn loose of things and unlearn some habits and some traits. I want to unlearn those things so that I can learn to be more like you. God, would you help me today to step over the threshold? Help me today, oh Lord, to transition into a new season in my life. Help me, Lord, to put the past behind me and press toward the mark and the prize and the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. Help me, O oh Lord Jesus, today to embrace all the tenets of maturity in Christ. Help me to grow in how to use the gifts you've given me. Help me to grow and mature in the talents and the abilities you've put in my life. Help me, God, to come out of Egypt and start my journey toward being what you want me to be in the land where you want me to be. Touch me today, O oh God, and I'll be clean. 
Create within me a clean heart. Put within me a right spirit. Help me, O Lord Jesus, today to embrace the transformation and be not conformed to the world and not to think like the world thinks and not to continue to act and evaluate the way the world evaluates. But help me, God, to be more like you. And help me, God, to see in my life and my, my future a relationship with God that you fight for me, that you fight for me. I thank you, God, that I already have victory, and I thank you for victory for this day and tomorrow and the days that lie in my future. I embrace all the things that you have for me. In Jesus' name, God dismiss us now from this place, but not your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. You have the greatest week you've ever had.